one of the things that I've also realized in the real estate marketplace is that there isn't really consumer-centric brands out there. So what do I mean by that? Every real estate marketplace thus far in existence that has the map technology in it and it looks like the Zillows of the world focus on the supply side. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. This is your host, Robin Copernicus. And on today's show, we have the founder of Village, Christine Kim, who is building a real estate company for the social media generation. So I'm really excited to talk about this innovation in the real estate market, the challenges and the goals that Christine has, and we can all start learning from this. So Christine, welcome to the show. Tell me a little bit more about Village and how you actually got to where you are with it. Yeah, so Village is... I want to say the first social networking real estate marketplace. So what does that mean? Current existing technologies out there. I'm going to name a couple of my competitors. No hate, just love. But like Zillow, Zumper, Street Easy, Apartment List. These are wonderful marketplaces, but these are marketplaces definitely built for an older generation. And kind of village came from a pain point of mine personally. When I was moving to San Francisco, I was originally in New York. I had no idea what neighborhood to live in. I had no idea where to start looking in terms of real estate for San Francisco because I'm not from the West Coast. I was raised in the East Coast. I had a few friends in the West Coast, but not many in San Francisco and just really didn't know where to start and kind of went on Twitter, Instagram and started posting questions like, what neighborhood should I live in San Francisco? Where do I begin my real estate search? And coming from that personal struggle, I realized that there wasn't really a marketplace catered to first time renters, younger renters that are moving from places that they're not familiar with. And oftentimes these renters are in the Gen Z, Zillennial um, age. And so we're talking about a generation that's often associated with the social media generation. Hence, when you introduced me, when you said Village is the real estate company for the social media generation, that's what we're building. Christine, how did you come up with this idea? And, and like, where were you when you came up with this idea? What were you doing? What was, what's, share a little bit about your background as well. Yeah, happy to. I am considered a Zillennial, or some people will consider me Gen Z. I believe Gen Z, the oldest Gen Z is actually born in 1996. I was born in 1995, so I'm like on the cusps. Despite being definitely younger, I've had extensive real estate experience stemming from my investment banking background when I was in New York. I was part of a group called Leverage Finance. Within Leverage Finance, I did focus a lot of my time on companies in the real estate, gaming, and lodging sector. And then I actually also had experience building Hudson Yards. I'm not sure if you're familiar, Robin, with Hudson Yards in New York, but it's an entirely newly redeveloped area of Manhattan, which is unheard of because Manhattan, there's no space in Manhattan. How do you redevelop a whole a whole section of Manhattan? But I was lucky to be I was lucky to be part of that project, and ultimately learned a lot about commercial real estate. And then moved actually to San Francisco for another job um, in real estate, and I was part of the investments team for a publicly traded company. And so my job was to buy properties all over North America that have a specific lease term and specific type of building, etc. and have had really extensive real estate experience. Really the vision of Village came when I was driving up to a place called Dillon Beach on the coast of the Bay Area. I was just my boyfriend, now my husband. 
at the time. He and I were just talking about the struggles of figuring out where to live and the struggles of not being able to know what people think about different areas, what people think about different apartment buildings. There's really not like a review or like a social component to real estate. And that's when the idea of Village came to be. You know what, when I was moving around Houston, Texas, so Houston, Texas for me is home. But even then, as a young kid growing up in Houston, I kind of just knew like the immediate vicinity around me, like the neighborhood that I grew up. And it was a little weird suburb area called A-Leaf, but A-Leaf is like all I really knew. And then there's this whole other, there's all these different parts of Houston that you would just never know. And it attracts these different types of people. But if you were just looking at a real estate map or if you're looking at Zillow, what you're really looking at is just like prices, the number of bedrooms. There's nothing. Yeah, like how do I know who my who my neighbors are? Is this going to be a neighborhood where I can be happy? Are there going to be other people in the in the neighborhood with dogs so my dog can meet their dog, etc.? Yeah. So yeah, this is great. So I, I see, I definitely see some of these gaps. What are some of the gaps that you are hoping to solve with the village, and what is the process? Yeah, definitely. So we've actually built our MVP, and we're planning to launch in the app store by the end of October. So definitely uh, keep your eyes out for that. That said, we're only going to be in one part of the country. <laughs> We're not going to be everywhere, unfortunately, but if you're curious what Village is all about, definitely feel free to download it. Keep an eye out at the end of October. But yeah, in terms of like features and what our product really does, I think you really brought up a great point about only knowing your immediate vicinity of where you, you know live and just only knowing one kind of slice of or slice of the pie of Houston. You're not alone. I, we've done so many hours of user interviews and that's been a similar story that's been told over and over again, a little differently every time. And so actually what we do very differently, and I think it's very different from a lot of platforms that also do neighborhood discovery, is that things are just, even neighborhood discovery apps have a map and they'll point out different places, but they never actually group them by neighborhoods. They also don't really allow for people to review their neighborhoods. They don't allow people to talk about things like, oh, this is there's a great dog park in, in this town in Houston. And so what we've done is we've actually mapped out different neighborhoods. So the moment you go on our app, what you'll see is a map with all the different towns, all the different kind of micro neighborhoods, and then things like where to eat grouped and that's grouped into coffee shops and that's separately grouped into restaurants where to go work out so gyms and fitness areas if there are pharmacies drugstores health clinics nearby all of that is actually grouped into different categories that you can literally just with a touch of a button see all of those things in one specific micro neighborhood and so I think that's what's really distinctive about villages we actually group everything by neighborhoods and that's not been done they, that's not been done before and it's really interactive that way but also at the core of what we're doing is we want our content to be actually generated by users and what's great about that is as you mentioned what exists in real estate marketplaces are a lot of data and statistics and for a lot of people that really doesn't mean anything so if you talk if you look at Zillow and oh it's a 92% walkability score what's the difference between 92% and 98% I can't tell you and I think most people can't tell you either and so what's actually really important are the kind of the reviews like Yelp right or Google reviews it's the reviews that kind of come from other people and what they've experienced and so to us that's really the key data and the, the data points that we're interested in we're interested in sharing and being able to have a platform where people can just go on to village and be like oh i can get the flavor of this neighborhood just with a touch of a how are you planning to monetize this 
Yeah, that's a great question. We, our business model is actually a little bit more complicated because we actually take a lot of different business models out there that are already in existence. So I will say what the way our business charges is very, it's not just a one subscription fee. It, there's actually multi multiple layers to it. There is no cost to the consumer because one of the things that I've also realized in the real estate marketplace is that there isn't really consumer-centric brands out there. So what do I mean uh, by that? Every real estate marketplace thus far in existence that has map technology in it and looks like the Zillows of the world focus on the supply side. So their whole thing is be able to get as much supply on their platform and the supply is gonna drive the demand. And so I think a lot of these marketplaces actually have made the user side kind of an afterthought. And so what we're doing differently here is definitely making it consumer centric, focusing on the demand first and allowing the tools that we have on our platform to actually draw in the demand before we chase, go chase after all of the supply. And frankly, we're not gonna be the ones chasing after supply because our biggest bet is that supply is gonna come to us because they don't wanna miss that core user group of Gen Z. And so, yeah, in terms of going back to the business model, we're taking the Street Easy model. The Street Easy model is there's a listing fee. Agents, and so for Street Easy, you have to be a verified agent to post a listing on their platform. And when you do, you get charged a listing fee per day. I believe they actually jacked that price up to $8 a day during the pandemic, which is crazy. Um, but I believe uh, they've decided to actually scale back that dollar amount. And yeah, so our first revenue stream is is listing fees. Listing fees come from both traditional landlords and also our marketplace is also based on a peer-to-peer -peer marketplace. If you, Robin, had a place you wanted to lease out and you're not, you don't have a agent um, license, you can actually just post right on our platform, similar to that of Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist. And so everyone who does list on our platform will pay a um, listing fee per day. But our listing fee is no more than $2 a day. And if you are a student, when you use your student email and you wanna post sublet or a listing, there's no fee for that as well. So that's the first. You wanna jump in here? I was just gonna ask, where do you see this? So let me ask you back up. You mentioned that your go-to market strategy, there's several different ways to do it, right? You can go nationwide. You can just do a shotgun approach yeah. and go to all these different cities. The, the further you try to expand, the more risk you start to take on. So right. I'm guessing you are focused by what you were saying. You're focused on a very small market, but I did hear that there's all these different micro villages. So how are your thought processes on how you are doing your go-to market strategy? Yeah, definitely. When we think about the go-to market strategy, it's really tied with who our target audience is. I've mentioned that we are a real estate company for the social media generation. If you think about the social media generation, we're targeting anywhere from the ages of 18 to, you know, 28-year-olds, 30-year-olds is really our prime target um, audience age. And we're actually starting out with college communities. We're picking college communities that have a shortage of dorms. And so a lot of students have to actually go off campus. And I'm not supposed to reveal this until Monday, but it'll be our little secret. It's not gonna be a secret because it's public. <laughs> it's a public podcast, but I'm happy to reveal it on here and everyone who's listening in can get the first kind of announcement. But our actual first launch location is Berkeley, California. So. If you take uh, the population of Berkeley, California, obviously there's UC Berkeley, which is a you know heavily university influenced location. But the I don't know if you're familiar with UC Berkeley, but 
after your freshman year, you don't get to live in dorms because there are not enough dorms to provide after freshman year. And everyone after freshman year actually has to find an apartment or somewhere else to live. And oftentimes that is not on campus, that is off campus. And so they do have a huge shortage of housing, like university owned housing. And so we're targeting college communities like that where the first age of, we're targeting their age, but the first user, oh, the first, like the renter's first age of actually renting out an apartment is going to be about 19 years old, 20 years old. Given that's our target market, it fits exactly with our, you know, with our, what we're offering in our product and what we're, who we're building for and we're starting out at college communities. That said, our goal is to expand into major metro markets as well, because the idea is if you're able to capture 18, 19 year olds, on our platform. The goal is by the time they graduate college, like 21, 22, 23, they still stick with our platform while looking for a place to live in Austin or San Francisco, New York, what have you. So that's the idea of how we're building out our pipeline. Okay, so you want to start capturing the demand side early. That way you can continue delivering value throughout their journey with moving in. And people are actually starting to move a lot more, right? I think the, the average time someone would move or even buy and sell a house was around eight years. And I think this is increasing much faster, especially now with chances and opportunities with remote working right. and this whole movement with digital nomadism. I'm a digital nomad, you know, myself. But yeah, so this is, you're, you're starting to get a lot of high turnover and this is a pretty yeah. good idea. Now with strategy that you're doing, it's a two-sided marketplace. This is usually where a lot of founders fail because they will start bringing up this whole chicken and egg problem. So I do understand that you're going after this demand side. How about the supply side and how are you managing trying to get traction on both sides? Yeah, that's great. As I had mentioned, what our kind of killer feature is the fact that we have these micro neighborhoods mapped out and it's really informative, right? So anyone who's a freshman who might have to not live directly near campus and might have to actually live a little bit further out because there's not enough supply, want to go on village because they're going to get that kind of, you know, micro neighborhood information that's going to be helpful to them. So that even if we didn't necessarily have su supply side, we have enough on our platform to keep users engaged. So that's point one. Point two is actually what we've decided to do, and we've decided to be a little bit smart about this, is we've already started to engage with community members on a separate Discord channel. So we already have about 50 active users on there. And this is, this Discord channel actually started uh, about three weeks ago. So this wasn't even really a, a lot of marketing or it was really just organic. And those are our, we have conversations with a lot of these users on a day-to-day -day basis. They are about 20% of them are landlords and the rest are all users, potential users who want on the consumer side. And that's been a really a, a great way to grow the community. And then also in terms of, you asked about supply side, what we've decided to do is, there's a couple of ways to do it, but we've decided to do it this way, is that we've decided to actually map out all of the buildings. So not, we're talking about traditional landlords, we're not talking about retail landlords. We've decided to map out all of their buildings and actually have their building info on there without the listings. So you can actually see in these micro neighborhoods what are like the buildings that you can rent out. Uh, and that in itself is very informative for the users because we've also had this as part of our user interviews um, that we feel very confident still launching publicly without necessarily having a traditional listing site. And then from there, this. oh, sorry, I know our goal is um, 
We do have an option where you can post a listing. So there's a plus sign in one of our, on the navigation bar that you can actually post a listing. That said, we're not gonna publicly release those listings until we reach about 100, 100 listings organically. Um, and then we're gonna start to release listings in that specific area. And so we do have a very like step-by-step -step plan of how we're approaching our supply side, but our goal is, um, really focusing on the demand side and then instead of chasing after supply, it's going to be supply chasing after our demand. Yeah, and no, I think this is a really smart idea and I hope that people that are listening in really took this little tidbit of what Christine is doing so they can figure out how to replicate it for their own startup because essentially instead of going after both sides, what Christine is doing is she found a way to attract the demand, be able to satisfy their desire by providing them information about these buildings so she doesn't even have to go out into the supply and start building this whole list of supply. She was able to figure out how to shortcut that by providing value now she can start growing the demand side which is just naturally going to start attracting the supply side so i love that thank you so much christina for sharing that little tidbit with us what are some of the next obstacles what are some things that are actually you're moving pretty well you're moving pretty fast but what's something that's holding you back from getting to the next step yeah definitely i think it's so funny because you really promote this no venture funding you know like i love it motto i think it's great i really do wish my company was a no venture funding <laughs> company because i think there's something beautiful about being able to keep control that said i really do believe um village is that it is a potential unicorn just given our tam our and tam is obviously a target your target market and so it's a market size that's right that's right and we it's just it's been really we built the mvp and when i say mvp it's not just a closed MVP we're launching publicly with it and we've been able to do a lot uh, without having raised funds but at this point like we've realized oh my goodness we do need to raise <laughs> in order to be able to get a little bit more aggressive but that's definitely a challenge and I could go on and on about you know just so let me actually turn this challenge right back around on okay. you I think this belief that we do need to go get funding even if it's a unicorn is a false belief because there's so many companies out there right now that are actually able to do this without having to go to investors. Just a, a few companies off the top of my mind. There is a company called QuickPage by this founder named Ch Chad Morgan and he's building a video calling software system. And there's a lot of these video calling software systems mm -hmm. out there, but he was able to do it by going vertical, approaching this very small niche of car dealerships, showing them how to use this application. And he just dominated this niche before he started moving on to other areas. MailChimp is another great example of a company that did it exactly like this. It started off as a mom and pops operation and they were able to grow it into an $11 billion company. And they just exited for $11 billion without taking any single um, investment funds and then let's see what was the other company click funnels that's another one click funnels another billion dollar company that was able to do this without taking a single dollar of venture capital and i think what you're doing christine is you've already been able to attract 50 people into your discord you're already doing this you have an mvp so in terms of moving forward it just sounds like you have all these pieces and i don't know this, yeah this i think focusing you're on all yeah, yeah go, definitely I would say I would agree in terms of there is a definitely a way forward without venture funding. It's hard because obviously having access to capital and quickly is nice. It's a nice to have, but I agree. Is it really a need to have? Possibly not. And so I, I think I'm still kind of, I don't have the right answer for you. I do sometimes. There's no think, answer. It's yeah. based on your values, right? The way that I look at it is 
when you're giving up maybe five to ten percent of your equity, you're still giving up one hundred percent of your time because now you are accountable to someone else. Oh, that is true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it just depends on your values. Christine, where can people learn more about Village? How can people continue to follow your adventure? Yeah, absolutely. The first way to keep up with us is definitely visit our website. It's findyourvillage.io. And in terms of wanting to see what's going on with the company on a day-to-day basis, is follow us on Instagram. It's join our village. Follow us on Twitter. Same thing, join our village. And if you're curious about my founder journey, also feel free to follow me on Twitter at Christine Yeji, Y-E-J-I, Kim. Yeah, so that's that's where you can see what's going on with all things village. Yeah, and if you're a freshman at Berkeley, then you definitely need to go and hit up Christine and check out this app. Christine, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Really happy to have you. And I think you've dropped some knowledge bombs that is going to help a lot of people. So thank you for that. And guys, this is Robin Copernicus hanging out with Christine Kim. Thank you so much. We'll see you on the next episode. Take care. Bye. Hey guys, this is Robert Copernicus wanting to talk about a few special things I have going on right now. One of the most difficult problems founders hope to solve is to get traction for their startup. VCs won't even look at Pistex anymore without this crucial element. But why is getting traction so hard? Getting your first 100 customers should not be difficult. If you want 100 signups for your startup in 30 days or less before you even launch your MVP, check out my book, Minimal Viable Mockup at minimalviablemockup.com or at mbmbook.com. And if you want a hands-on bootcamp to help you get to 100 customers and build out a high converting sales funnel, learn more about the three-hour Minimal Viable Mockup bootcamp at mbmbootcamp.com. And finally, if you are a serial founder with a successful business generating six or seven figures in revenue and scared you can lose it all at any moment book a call with me and my team at launchwithrobin.com to learn how you can launch your next startup with our operating system that helps you build an empire so you never have to worry about pivoting again again those links are mbmbook.com mvmbootcamp.com and launchwithrobin.com